Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Amber. I'm Anna. And this is different. <laughs> it is different. Yeah. Different day, different person talking. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So <laughs> a lot of stuff has been different, hasn't it, Anna? Wow. What a segue. <laughs> it's like we're professionals. It's not really a segue if it's how I introduce the episode. <laughs> Okay, what an intro. Um, yeah, so this is a little bit of a bonus episode. It's going to go up on our Patreon feed first. And if you're not a Patreon member and you want to be one and support the show, you can do that over at patreon.com slash the dirt podcast. Or you can just keep listening. That's great also. And also, um, so to this, this bonus episode is not... Um, about a specific topic within archaeology or anthropology. It's just about us. Yeah. So, um, if, so you also yeah. don't have to listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't want to hear what we've been up to, because we've sort of, listeners have been sticking with us through a couple of uh, little hiatuses and, and we just really appreciate that. So we thought we'd let you know what's been going on to occasion those hiatuses. Yeah. Is that the right plural for hiatus? I don't know. Is it a fourth declension noun? Is it a hiatus? I think it is. Um, there, there's <laughs> hiatum. Hiatum. Uh, hiata. I no, I don't think it's that. Anyway, um, we thought that we would uh, just let you all know what's been going on, and so well, and then we'll do like some fun stuff at the end. Yeah, it? we'll do some archaeology themed stuff, yeah. and. Um, I think that, I I hope that this will interest some folks. And if it doesn't, that's also okay. And if it doesn't interest you, you don't have fine. to, yeah, you don't have to listen. You can stop Enjoy now. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Have a wonderful day. Um. So yeah, what's been going on, Anna? Uh, I got a new job. I got a new job. I am now um, a producer, I guess the... I technically am a producer. Um, I have gotten a fellowship at Minnesota Public Radio, which is also um, kind of lumped in with American public media. And it's uh, a team that produces all kinds of stuff for public radio. And I specifically am on the kids team making podcasts. Anna sits at the kids table. I permanently, <laughs> that is where I want to sit. Why would I want to sit with grownups? <laughs> No, um, you get the little VTech laptops to work on. <laughs> oh, they're non-breakable. Um, so, yeah, so I work on a show called Brains On primarily, and it's about science and it takes kid questions about various topics in science, sort of just anything about how the world works. And the kids who write in with these questions get to be um, co-hosts on the show. So we, we write scripts, I, I research and write scripts and, um, 
Molly, the primary host, hosts along with a kid co-host. And it's really fun and really great. And I get to be goofy and creative every day at work, which is really great for me. And so it is really nice to feel as if I am in a work environment where I can thrive and grow. And so I... I'm learning to do all kinds of cool sound design stuff that I really hope at some point to start incorporating into the dirt become a little more textured mm. in, in an audio sense. I'm not sure. I'm, um, I might try some stuff out, so stay tuned. But yeah, um, things, things are good, but, but my schedule is now a true nine to five. I had been doing about six different jobs and freelancing, so the thing about that was that I had no schedule and could sort of work on the dirt anytime, um, anytime that I had time. And so now I actually have a flexible, but existing nine to five. And so, um, it's gonna, the dirt's gonna kind of become a weekend project for me, uh, which may sometimes affect how, when it goes out. Well, yeah. And so it's something that, um, we have, we have adjusted our schedule, a sort of our production schedule before, because there, you know, there was a point where neither of us had any job. No. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and so, yeah. And so then we, um, you got some, some gigs lined up and I had, and I went back to a full-time office environment and that, that affected stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is that, um, in, in, at previous points where we may have otherwise have had a hiatus, um, you had more flexibility in your schedule to kind of, um, pick up my slack. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking about like last year at the end of my grandmother's life, like I was not present (laughs) and, um, and like you, you carried a lot of stuff and, and that was, um, and sort of kept us moving. And, and, and then like when you moved, uh, we had a built-in hiatus, but also like I was able to, to pick some stuff up. And so this time, um, the, we, like we've, we've joked for the past few years that it's like great that our respective, um, like personal and interior lives <laughs> sort of balance each other out. So when like one of us is, uh, one of us is sick or one of us is super swamped, like the other one can kind of like pull up. But, um, the past couple months, it's not really been that way. Yeah. It's Um, been more challenging. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so it's like really, I'm so excited for Anna, like this, like the stuff that, that you, you do is like, like, really great, like really great material. And it's also super cute. And, um, yeah, go subscribe to brains on. It's yeah. fun to, if you have kids or if you have nibblings or if you just really like fun kid science. Yeah. Content, if you just it's like really cute fun facts presented cutely, like it's just, <laughs> I, I would say cute, but not twee. Oh yeah. No, I wouldn't have liked that. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's just very, it's just wholesome. Um, and so, th- so that's great. So I think that's, Great. I love that for you. I'd also like everybody to know that I have wet cat food on my hand that I just discovered and it's gross. My hand smells like fish. Well, 
Okay. I can't see Anna very well because there's baffling between us because I'm still in Anna's house, Uh um, which I guess brings us to me. Um, And so the, if you follow me on my personal social media, uh, which you are more than welcome to do. At Amber Dextrous I'm, I'm, on Twitter. I'm, yeah, I'm Amber Dextrous on, on Twitter. Um, so you, you, like, I've, I've been very busy with work because my, my day job, um, uh, in a normal year, which apparently we're in a normal year now. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Having a normal one. Yeah. So we're out here having a normal one. Um, and so my program, uh, culminates in a five week residential program, uh, for, for people, for grantees, not me. Um, <laughs> um you just get to chill in a house. Yeah. God, that's that would not, be, that's not how that works. That, that would be easier. Um, and so I was in, I, I had to go out to San Francisco because I technically work in San Francisco. And if my HR department is listening, um, I am in San Francisco right now. <laughs> I am also. <laughs> um, and, and so I was out, I was out in SF for work. And so it was just a, um, just like, all, all consuming few, few weeks because I, my role among other things is, um, I'm the one that gets everybody's flights and, and like does all of the like travel support. So when you've got for like dozens of people at a time, uh, um, over a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. That's so dozens. several dozens. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah. And um, so that, that's a, that's a lot bringing people from, sure. um, four different continents and, um, yeah, so very, I was very busy with work and, um, the other thing that happened, well, a couple, well, I guess the most salient thing for, for me personally is, um, the sort of the stress of work and, um, which like I, I am, I'm not somebody that tends to let my, my day job like really affect me because I <laughs> passed all that. <laughs> I sort of got that burned out of me um, in, in previous years. And so it's something that, you know, I, I do, I do because that is the nature of the society that I live in. <laughs> I have to, um, I have to, to work to buy food and pay rent um, and have health insurance. And so I do that, but it like was taking up more time than, um, than, than typical. So I'm like out there getting overtime and stuff. And I, um, as I think many people know, um, I applied to graduate programs this winter and the combined force of, uh, working way more than 35 hours a week, as was my standard at my day job and, um, putting it all out there for graduate programs and waiting forever it felt like um yeah deadlines get kept getting pushed back and that was like yeah things agonizing it it just very agonizing that you know this is what happens when you um what just like things are outside your control and and really outside of other people's control um but the the sort of the combined pressure of that um was a pretty substantial like trigger for my depression and so i was really struggling there, um, for a couple months. <laughs> so, um, I think sometime in the last week I've started, 
<laughs> really doing better because yeah. So I've been, I was at work a lot. So Anna got a job. It was, it's great. It's, it's really awesome, but there's like sort of the adjustment. So just sort of like your time being taken up and then the like sort of emotional bandwidth of just sort of processing all the new stuff and, and adjusting. And, and then meanwhile, I'm like, just like spinning out, um, because, um, I did not get into graduate school and, um, I also had applied for an NSF fellowship. So the national science foundation graduate research fellowship program. So I had applied for a GRFP and, um, in history of science, which, um, do you want to, say the odds oh, on that yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah you know the the yeah okay so yeah okay so i didn't i did not know that the nsf um had history of science as one of their fields as i am quite new to history of science um but a faculty member that i had um made contact with last year and sort of started developing a um like a, a relationship a conversation with um recommended me to apply for it since I have a very, um, defined research goal. Um, I know, I I know like pretty squarely, like what I am interested in, what I want to pursue and, um, where I'd like to start working towards that. Uh, and so she had recommended that I apply for an NSF and I had to like kind of front and be like, Oh yeah, of course I can do that. Mm. Uh, no idea that this was an option. Um, and, and so I found out about it about a month before it was due, uh, which if you like follow- if you've ever applied for any grant, uh, a month is not a lot of time. It's not a lot of time. Um, and, and so it was not a lot of time to, uh, put together all of the materials and sort of, um, get everything, get everything together and, uh, mobilize letter writers. Uh, and so I, so this process for me began, I mean, it, it began ages ago, but the actual like application process, uh, began in September for me. So I spent from September to mid December, um, sort of agonizing over applications and finally submitting them and then waiting. Um, and so the, for those of you who may be familiar, um, the NSF, uh, the Graduate Research Fellowship Program, um, they get about 17,000 applications a year and they give out 2,000 awards. So the odds aren't great. Um, I, um, however, um, in, that that does not mean they're equitably distributed across all the fields that exist. No. And like, how many listeners, how many do you think are available for history of science? Just think of a number. How many, yeah. How Between many, one and how many 2000? awards do you think were given this year in history of science? Just got a number picturing it. <laughs> okay. Amber, what was the number? Um, one person got an NSF, uh, graduate research fellowship within history of science, um, in history of science. And there was one honorable mention. Uh, so last year there were none and the year before there were two and I've never seen, um, I, I don't think I've seen more than two in that. So it's like extremely selective. So it's not, and also helps, um, me understand why I didn't know about it because nobody that I know, um, has one or has had one. Um, and so that was, um, that was that. And so that was, 
um, you know, it was a long shot. It's a long shot anyway for me. Uh, it's a long shot for um, somebody coming out, coming into school, applying to schools after a significant gap. I'm switching fields. My background is in archaeology. This is history of science. They are different. And um, and also, um, I only had two letters. Yeah, professor of the yeah, show d- is no, is kicked off this no, show. Just, it's fine. <laughs> it's just there are a lot of things outside your control when you are applying for things so I was so um I got my I was I spent about an hour being absolutely inconsolable um when I found out about the NSF because at this point I had not been granted admission to the programs to which I had applied um because these are like all of the programs that I applied to were coming off of um, a, they had suspended the admission cycle the previous year. So sort of two years of applicants going in for like four just spots in a perfect PhD storm program. of. Yeah. So it's just, it just like really, it's just very hard. It's very hard to come to terms with um, because it, after a certain point, it's not. It isn't about whether you have merits or whether they think you would succeed or, or any of those things because there's just too many other variables. And so it just, just numbers. Um, so yeah, it's it. And, um, so I had not, I had not received admission. And so I was holding out hope that I would get this independent funding so that I could, um, like negotiate. I could appeal yeah. and uh, and come in with my own funding uh, because something else that I, I did. So I've learned so much in the 13 years since I went to, went to graduate school the first time. Um, and among those things is um, I was very, hmm, um, I was very careful about what programs I even considered and was even willing to apply to, uh, because I, um, you know, I kind of keep my ear to the ground and I listen to about, I listen to, uh, sort of the dynamic and the culture in departments about, um, funding opportunities and just research opportunities for students in those programs. Um, and, um, and other aspects of, um, of life of, of students. So, um, I, uh, I, I could find it again. If, if anybody wants this, please reach out to me and I will give it to you, uh, because I will have to look it up again. But, um, I, I, I looked, I made, I checked any program that I was considering against a list of, um, universities that have, that are actively unionizing, or have unions among their graduate workforce. Um, and, and so I, I have, I had these sort of, um, criteria for what I was, what, what I'm willing to do because I am not in a position that I am, um, willing to take on debt, uh, to, to further my education, uh, because I don't have any means of paying it back. And so just sort of like, I can't finance my own education um, at this point. And I've been like tremendously fortunate to date. And, and so I, I had to think about like, well, what can I, like, what can I afford to do both financially and emotionally? Um, and that really, inf- that, that 
greatly informed what programs I applied to, uh, <laughs> which like, um, and, and so I didn't, I didn't get the NSF, so I couldn't appeal. And so I felt like my life was over and that I was an utter failure. Um, and then I read the reviews of my, I, I was actually on my way to Anna. Uh, so I had to like leave. <laughs> I was checking out of my, my, uh, rental, um, in SF and I was heading to Tulsa and I promised myself like, don't read the reviews until you're in the car to the airport, because what if you like, don't get there. (laughs) Um, and I read them and, uh, they were really encouraging. Um, they were like by and large, very helpful. There was two two out of three recommendations for an honorable mention well no, no one no one person just like was absolutely in love with my yeah uh, reviewer one was just like big fan this was the the greatest no she like she i don't know i was just assuming, they <laughs> yeah they, just assuming it's a woman a nice lady <laughs> just like a, <laughs> it says a lot about my psyche <laughs> mm. um but yeah one reviewer um like really, really got what, where I was coming from and all of them saw value in the proposal. Um, and the, the most, yeah, I think the, um, the least constructive feedback came from a person who also had recommended me for an honorable mention. So like, it was really encouraging. Like it was really, really encouraging. And, um, listener, I did make it to the airport, but I was, I just had this like sense of peace of just sort of coming to, and this is why I think Anna (laughs) recommended we talk about it on the show because I, um, all that therapy that I've been doing for many years now, um, and all this growth that I've done, I, I realized and I sort of accepted that, um, you know, all the stuff that I say to other people, (laughs) can also apply to me. Um, and that like, I took a huge risk this year, like this past year, like I took a huge risk of, um, putting myself out there, like, like as authentically as I could and, um, made, like reached out to people that I, uh, one of whom was like one of my intellectual heroes. And it was, um, very scary, but also like really rewarding to actually have a conversation with that person and sort of start something. And I, uh, turned a corner in recognizing that like this was, this was, it was a huge achievement that I, um, was considered that I was, um, yeah. that I, I got positive responses from people that I reached out to, um, like people seem to like people seem to think that the work that I want to do is work that should be done. Um, and, um, my biggest fear in facing and like, well, my biggest fear in any of the application process and certainly in the eels, Yeah, if reviewer three had been a like sack of eels, <laughs> that that would have that would have I would have remained inconsolable. <laughs> no, gosh, that was getting to like a really <laughs> I know. I was getting to a really poignant fact. 
<laughs> no, um, the thing that I was afraid of in this process, um, and the thing that I was really afraid, because also, um, in, like, you know, I told you there are like 17,000 applicants to the NSF and yeah. 15,000 of them get rejected. Yeah, I've, um, I've been there. And, <laughs> and no, I'm, I'm in great company. Yeah. Um, but you see on Twitter and then people, you know, and, and all this stuff, like the horrible things that reviewers can and do say. Um, yeah. And, and I and was, you didn't get that. I didn't get that. And I was very scared that I was going to open it up and they were, that it was going to like basically be this broad sounds dumb and crazy. And like, that's what. <laughs> that's not what they said. That's not what they said. And, um, and and turns out this broad has real intellectual merit. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and um, I, oh man, if I got one, I could start up a a, uh, a, a sideshow and call it Broader Impacts. <laughs> um, no, to, but like to broads in archaeology. Yeah, um, but I didn't. So like that was sort of the biggest thing is that like the reason why I left graduate school in the first place, like no matter what I say to people and like how I pitch it normally to be like, oh, it wasn't like it wasn't the right fit. And, you know, all of all of that. So my research interests progressed or evolved or whatever, like all of those things are true. But the real reason why I left my program is that I had a series of traumas and also had like profound undiagnosed mental illness. <laughs> Yeah. And like, that's why I left. And mm -hmm. so if that had not happened, like just that part, I think the trauma, like I probably would have kept doing what I was doing um, and just been like working on that later. But like, that's, that's why I left. And so that like, that's not, um, that's something that like has, has like, I have a lot of shame around still and like a lot of, and I feel like something was taken from me in that time. And so I, this whole process of applying, of getting back to a point where I can apply for school has been really hard. And I, um, and so once I got my last decision and, um, and then like Googled and I think I'm still eligible to apply <laughs> again this year with this feedback that I got yeah, that I can act on and sort of directions for things to, to improve. And I can like keep working on those, those connections that I have mm -hmm. and, um, and just try to just try again. And, um, and I, like, I finally came around to to this this realization that the hard part is over yeah like the hard part was, hardest yeah exactly yeah um yeah well said um the the hardest part is is over the hardest part is um is the past few years yeah. of of sort of coming coming to this this coming back to the conclusion that I can do this and there is a place for me and that I have the capacity to do this and um, I have the sort of resiliency to get there um, that was that's that was the hardest part and so now that I've applied now that I tried and um, 
and didn't get what I was going for, um, I don't, like, I, I felt so proud of myself after reading those reviews and after sort of everything, like the dust was settling and I was like, I did it. I did the thing that I thought mm-hmm. I would never do again and that I didn't think I could do. Yeah. And that's exactly why I wanted to talk about this on this bonus episode, yeah. because I think that is an experience that perhaps about 15,000 or more <laughs> other people have. And so I, um, I, I felt that that's something that particular sort of hero's journey yeah, for yeah. you was, was one that we really should share because yeah. um, it is possible to, to do the thing that you thought you wouldn't do again and to perhaps not get exactly where you planned to go, but to, to make strides in that direction. So yeah. I'm yeah. very proud of you. Thank you. I'm so Thank proud you. of you. I'm proud of me too. And um, what better... What better weekend to have a conversation about, what is it, catabasis? Sort of the going into the underworld and coming oh. back. <laughs> yes, much like yeah, uh, a different person did. A different person. About 2,000 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And so now we're going to do um, something that um, somebody probably wants. Um, and Someone that, out there, surely. And so we're going to answer the two questions that we ask all of our guests and so what, so since we have asked the, that question like dozens of times at this point, we have a few answers. Mm. And so why limit ourselves? Again, there this are is no our rules. show. So we're going to do a top three yeah. for each one. And so um, let's, let's do like, do you want to rank them? I don't, I don't think I can rank mine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mine are ranked. I okay. did. The, I, I wrote mine down while you were napping. Um so I've cool. been so tired. That's, I feel so much better. Good. That's great. That's awesome. That's good. Personal <laughs> updates. Anna as well rested well, if, now. No, if you've seen our Facebook or Instagram recently, there was the, I was trying to edit the, <laughs> the upcoming episode and I did a very dumb thing. Just like I was so tired. I just made a, a silly mistake and it resulted in um, a very Alvin and the Chipmunks <laughs> sounding uh, audio track. And um, yeah, go check that out on <laughs> Our social media. Yeah. Uh, okay. So first silly. question, Anna. Yes. What is the best thing about anthropology? For me, it's number the, three. Oh. Oh. I mean, I really just have, but you just one at a time. Okay. So you do one, I do one. Okay. You do one, I do one. Okay. okay. I, the interdisciplinarity. Oh. I like that you can ask questions about humans in as many different ways as there are ways of observing and understanding things. So you can, you know, pull from any existing discipline. You can pull from the kind of technology that comes with those disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just really appreciate that anthropology is so broad. Okay. Um, my, thir- so I'm doing it rank. So it's going to be sort of, trite to profound. Um, so my sort of, uh, fluffier one, um, and probably more problematic one is, um, anthropology and like studying anthropology and archeology span for me has been my, has given me the opportunity to see the world. Yep. 
<laughs> so that's um, and and so that's Chomping something my flavor a little bit. No, that's fine. No, you 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 see you've seen other parts of the world and have a different perspective on that. And so you know, I um, I um, as we all know, I grew up in a very small rural place, and I was sort of the like the weird sickly kid. And so I was I I read National Geographic and imagined being an explorer and being you know, significant in some way and meeting all of these people and seeing all these places and, and being somewhere that was just wholly unlike, um, North central West Virginia. (laughs) And, and so I, the first time that I, um, really like the, probably the second or third time that I had ever been on a plane at all Mm -hmm. was to go to the UAE for my first field season. I mean, if Um, you want a different from West Virginia, you got it. Well, and then I got there and it was just like, oh, like, no, this is like, it, and it's the ways in which it's like not so different. Yeah. And it, it, oh, just, yeah. it was just like really, it was just really, um, uh, really life changing for me. And so that was something that, you know, and I was the first, um, I think I'm the, I was the first person in my family to, um, leave the country for a reason other than military service. Mm. And so, um, it was, it, it was just a, um, it was the thing that got me out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my two, yeah. My number two is going <laughs> to, is going to just copy Amber because, okay. um, yeah, now I've gotten to go to some incredible places thanks to specifically archeology. span Um, yeah, I've, I've gotten to work in South Africa and that was pretty incredible. Um, being in a, a desert floodplain uh, that just hadn't ever really collected any sediment. So things didn't get buried because the the wind and stuff would just, just kind of blow all the dust away. And so the entire floodplain and the cliffs above are, it's all scattered with stone tools and the, the remains of stone, like the um, debris from making stone tools that has been there since someone dropped it a million years ago. And that just that and being in that environment and being in a place where it, there were other species before humans um, was, was really incredible. And I have also gotten to go to the Aleutian islands to do sort of a brief stint of work uh, with some museum collections there. And that was incredible. A really amazing place to be. It just like looks like middle earth. That's um it's beautiful. I, I don't think I've ever enjoyed hiking so much. That's not true. I really like hiking, but <laughs> I had some incredible hikes there. And yeah, and and um, as I'm sure listeners know by now, uh, I spent many years, many archaeological seasons in Southwest France, and the the community of folks that I worked with there was really great, and the food is really great, and it's beautiful, and there are castles, which you all know I love, so. Yeah, I've been very lucky in the places that archaeology has taken me. Yeah. Um, and number two for you. Number two for me. Um, anthropology has given me an opportunity to be a better person. Um, allow me to explain. Um, <laughs> By all means. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a way to, um, to get me outside of my own head and get me outside of my own experience. Um, because 
something that has been um, so sort of exterior to your interiority. <laughs> yes. Um, and so in, in like in, in an abstract way and in like very like real um, sort of applied ways, because it's a, um, because studying, um, learning about other people and learning about other times and, and sort of seeing the, undeniable evidence of other means of organization or belief or, um, like sort of existing, existing. Yeah. Um, has, um, it over time began to erode, um, my, uh, sort of conviction that I was, I was trying to do something the right way. And so the right way being informed by um, a very um, kind of conservative religious um, upbringing. Sure. And, yeah. and so like learning that, uh, like learning that there are too many ways to be, to really, um, to really allow for there to be one right way, yeah. I think is. Um, and, and, and so that's something that has, um, the, it's something that broke down that, that, that like began the process of sort of like, um, break, breaking down, uh, some, like some norms and expectations and sort of biases that I had. And it, and it set me up for, um, being a little bit more, um, receptive to having biases pointed out. And, and so it's something that, um, kind of broke me out of a stasis of being like, I'm a good person and I'm a feminist and I'm progressive. And like, it sort of broke me out of, of, of that sort of this like static belief that like, I'm a good person. Um, and sort of a good person is a process. Yeah. And like pushed me, pushed me toward this, this real, this realization that it is ongoing and you are constantly learning and unlearning. And so, um, studying anthropology and also, um, specifically studying anthropology written by like, uh, scholars from the global South and, um, and, and like, just like exposure to other, other frameworks. Yeah. And, and, and looking and, and look, looking to the work of, of people that have, um, for a lot of the lifetime of anthropology have been the subject of mm. anthropological discourse, but not the, the author. Um, mm. like it's, it's been a, like that, that's something that has, um, that that has nudged me towards and and helped me move towards being um like more empathetic and more more willing to hold space for someone's differing existence and um and to and to accept it as something that I don't need to be a part of. Like it doesn't like, it's sort of like, you don't have to participate. Exactly. That's sort of like that. It's something that I can um, like respect and it's something that I can um, value, but it doesn't, that, that respect and value is not contingent on its relationship to me. Nope. Like mine. Doesn't have to be about you or any of us. Yeah. And so being, um, it has helped me, uh, which is perhaps an irony about anthropology is that anthropology has helped me feel 
less like the protagonist. <laughs> um, no, I mean, <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we have no other way of observing the world than from sort of a yeah. first person kind of way. I mean, we, we don't, you and I don't, I don't know, like, Sure. I don't know how, I, I mean, I don't know how other people, like, again, like we, yeah, of course there's like the bias of seeing it. Yeah. That just um, meant like in terms of our brain processing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like sensory processing, not yeah. like fitting ourselves oh, into no, that society. I, no, like I just <laughs> literally just meant okay. brain processing information. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so to get so philosophical. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's my number two. Okay. And then. One more. Give me one more thing that is the best thing about anthropology. Perhaps Doing the best this show. Oh my God. Doing this show. <laughs> For many reasons. It means that I get to hang out with my best bud. Um, this microphone. <laughs> uh, no, it's you. It's, uh, but also, <laughs> this has really been the underpinning of many of my recent like career successes and and yeah. this has been one of the things that has shown me that a career in science communication is viable dad <laughs> uh, <laughs> no he's been very supportive uh eventually and yeah and and i think that the experience that i've had um as the sound editor of the dirt and as one of the two people who has been writing all the scripts and doing all the research. Um, I think that's a huge part of what landed me the gig at American public media. And like, that's sort of, again, a place that I am now working where I feel like I am growing as a content creator and really having a blast. So in, in, innumerable ways. I am, I'm grateful that we started the dirt. I'm so proud of it. I'm so excited that we've gotten this far. Um, and every time we hear from someone in any form, you know, uh, email, social media, those are pretty much the two forms. Um, <laughs> it's so gratifying. I mean, as long as it's a nice email and not telling us that we giggle too much, but you know, it's okay to not tell us those things. <laughs> dad, dad, uh, <laughs> Uh, borrowing a quote from Amber Zambelli, it's okay to have an unexpressed thought. Comma, dad. Dad. Uh, which uh, I have actually said. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that to my dad. He gets so mad. Well, that's, didn't yep. say that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, I, I like doing this show. That's, Aww. I ranked it wrong. That's not my number three. That's my number one. Okay. It's my third item, but I would say that... No, we, we worked up to number one. Oh, good, great. It's a countdown. Okay, well... Anna doesn't know how top threes work. It ca You counted down by starting... I think you... Didn't you start with number one? No, I started with three. Great, this is my top. Okay, so my number one... Um, I, can, I think I can actually... Uh, yeah, I think that it is not dissimilar from yours. And it's that the best thing about anthropology is that it makes me feel small. And, in a good way. And it makes me feel connected. Um, and so the same way that I love being at the beach 
and seeing all the grains of sand and seeing all the waves. The world is vast. The great expanse of the ocean and the curvature of the earth in the same way that I love looking into the night sky and seeing all the stars and seeing things that may not exist anymore. But like I still get to see like those sorts of experiences are, um, I find like, I, I think that maybe that's how some people feel, um, in religion, yeah, like in their I, faith, I think so too. Um, of, of just having this, this, um, just being um, integrated into something much bigger than myself, but to which arguably I the point of religion, yeah, and and so that's something that um, when I and this is something specific to um, specific to archaeology in my experience, but anthropology also like sort of feeling offers that, way that? Of, yeah, of. Um, You know, there have been billions of people that have been on this earth. Um, And and we haven't been here very long. In In the the, big scheme of earth. Yeah, well, in the scheme of earth, in in the, the life of the universe. Like, we are, like, each of us is so small. And, like, each of us is so... Um, insignificant in a statistic sense that, and yet, um, and yet inside each person is an entire world mm-hmm. and an entire existence and in each community and, and sort of the, um, <laughs> anthropology is scalar. <laughs> and, and so it's something that I find so comforting um, as somebody who, as I discussed in this episode, as somebody who has like um, not infrequent dark moments and like not infrequent feelings of profound loneliness and, um, and, and sort of feeling like disjointed and, and, and sort of divorced from all other life. Um, It's something that is, very healing and comforting for me to know that, um, my, my experiences like are resonant, like among others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's like why, um, I've, I've talked about this before, um, the work of, uh, Moody Arashid, like I, like Moody's work is, is so good. And she, she, is an Assyriologist and she talks about grief and emotion in um, cuneiform texts. And so just having that, that sense of like some of the earliest writing ever, you know, like the, you know, the first thing that, that humans write about is economics. Like, and and then the second thing is emotions. And it's just like, well, those are the two things that I'm about as like material circumstances and feelings. Um, <laughs> check and check. And, and so it's something that I, I find really, um, it's, it's just, you know, we, we say this all the time. I say this all, all the time, that there's no wrong way to be a human. And mm-hmm. this is why we say it. Yeah. Um, because it is, um, you know, uh, my first archaeology class that I took, um, I remember learning about, you know, we, we, it was the introduction to um, the ancient Near East in Egypt and we were learning about the ancient Near East and I didn't know a thing about it. And then I realized that I did sort of know things about it because it was what I had discussed in um, Sunday school. Yeah. And that these were the, so I had, um, 
is the other side. I've, the- I've always been, I like, I, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> I'm scared of a lot less now than I was when I was younger, even though I'm scared of lots of things like eels. Um, uh, but I was, as a kid, I was really afraid that the world was going to end, um, before I had a chance to do anything. And, uh, cause I, I grew up in a, um, in a very eschatological faith, um, that's really focused on big into the world ending the Yeah. Big into the world ending and big into trying to figure out if it is indeed ending now. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, it was just, it was just very scary to me. And I can see how a small child being told that the world is going to end. And, and I, I remember feeling really ripped off. I really, I was like, well, if it happens any Come day, on. like I'm still like, I'm eight. What have I gotten to do? Like this sucks. Like I've just been sick and like my brother picks on me. Like I don't. And, and so I like, I, I like, I wish to see the desert. I, <laughs> I didn't have like the requisite faith, I guess, but also like is an eight year old capable of that much abstract thought to like unclear and <laughs> like an afterlife. But, Couldn't tell you. Uh, yeah, I couldn't either, but, but it was something that like, I always, I carried that anxiety with me and that, that fear. Um, and, and so being in this first class, the, the, this introduction to the ancient Near East and, you know, um, learning about Nineveh and like learning about these, these places and these times and these things that informed, um, the, the prophets, yeah. Um, in the Bible and the things like learning that, the context and the things that were used in the new Testament at like the sort of the things that, like, that were used as like prophecy for the new Testament. And, and like, I, I learned in that class that, um, the world has ended many times. Sure has. And like in many ways for many people and that this wasn't, that it actually was much bigger and much more complex. And even if I didn't believe those things that I was told, there was that, that sense of like, Oh, but, but that isn't that curious though. Is it just a coincidence? And it's like, Mm. no, it's, 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 um, it's less than a coincidence. It's just inaccurate. And, and so learning, learning those things was really, um, like really powerful for me and in terms of my, my personal growth and, yeah. um, and sort of sense of safety in among humanity. Um, so that's my number one. Yeah. You certainly, uh, wrapped it up with profound. <laughs> um, and then we have our second question. Oh yeah. The hardest question of all. So we're mm-hmm. going to do another top three. So if you've got a most profound one or a, a biggest one for you, okay, I'll save it for last. You save it for last. Okay. Um, but Anna, what's your number three? If you could be a fly on the wall for any moment in in human history or prehistory or pre-human prehistory, oh my, um, or the history of anthropology, what would it be and why? Um. So number three, like I'm really interested in how, how people make stuff. Okay. Yeah. And so I would want to go, I'm trying to think like maybe the first like ocean going ships. Mm. I would like to go see. Like the, like the kelp highway. 
kind of yeah, ships like or the, Polynesian. Yeah, so like, like the, I mean, I guess the kelp highway. So the 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 peopling of the Americas. I, I would, in general, just like to see that happening. Um, I, I imagine I was thinking about these things and like these processes. I was like, would that be really boring? Would you just see like a family just like kicking it? I mean, possibly like, like in a single life, like Casey, think about like the, the timeline. I know. So, like, well, so I think I would need to be sort of a, a fly on kind of an expanded, <laughs> okay. the, the view of the past on fast forward. Okay. So I could like see the process. Okay. But I also want to see like how they were making, because a big part of that theory is that people had sea, seagoing craft. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would like to see how, how those were made, but also um, later stuff. Um, okay. Like, I mean, a lot of things are later than <laughs> the people like 15,000 years ago. <laughs> but, um, oh, okay. <laughs> no, but like later, I, just like the idea of, of people getting on the ocean and, and building crafts okay. capable of doing that and, and then having the navigational mm-hmm. skills and technology. It's just like that whole process is really interesting to me. So like, yeah. I want to see that in ancient Egypt, like the, the ships that um, were excavated in, is it in the Fayum? I think it's in the Fayum. Um, that were just sort of, uh, cargo boats. Oh, the one that was, that was just the, the one that like, it's called Wadi. The site is like Wadi something. Okay. Much yeah, that like, narrows it down. yeah, I know every <laughs> site in Egypt is Wadi something, but, uh, <laughs> no, no, not every site, but makes sense. Wadi Gawasis. Gawasis. Wadi Gawasis. Okay. Wadi Gawasis. Um, um, a professor in the archaeology department at BU was one of the main excavators at Wadigawasis. Um Yeah, and and then even you know later than that, the Viking ships. Um, earlier than that, Polynesian. Cra- just, just I'm interested I in people you could on see the some water. Viking ships, if you went to see the Northmen with me. Okay. <laughs> but I wouldn't know how authentic they'd be because I I got to go see the real thing. Okay. All right. So ships. Okay. That's my number three. Ships. Okay. I mean, yes, my number three. That's your number three. Okay. Um, my number three is a moment in the history of archaeology. And um, it don't laugh because no. of the thing I'm going to say next. Okay. Sorry. Um, I was just imagining that it was Wendell Phillips knocking over those columns. Oh, no. No. Gosh. No. No, I think, no. No. Um, it, it, no. Damn it. I didn't think to include him. Um <laughs> No, my, my number three, um, this, it, it ha- there is a, a, uh, there's going to be a reference to suicide here. So if this is not something that you, um, want to hear about in any, in any context, uh, go ahead and fast forward to the next time that Anna talks. Um, but I would like to be present for Gertrude Bell's last night. Um, uh, yep. So Gertrude Bell um, is a real trailblazer, um, and so she was a, she was an archaeologist, and she was a, a colonial administrator, and she was a diplomat. Wink. Um, and uh, she she had a huge role in the um, really in sort of the establishment of the 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 modern state of Iraq, um, and, and specifically in the British empire's relationship with, um, King Faisal, um, and sort of the, the trajectory that geopolitics took in the sort of, uh, in Southwestern Asia and sort of the greater, um, Arabian peninsula. But, um, 
at the end of Gertrude Bell's life. Um, so Gertrude Bell died in Baghdad. Um, she died in her hotel room in Baghdad from what is understood to be an overdose of sleeping pills. And there are theories about why, like, like what was the root of this? Was it an accident or was it intentional? Um, and, and so did she, um, because again, this was in the fifties, forties. Um, I think she died in the fifties. I think she died in the fifties. Yeah. So she was, she was a middle-aged Sort of, yeah, certainly not, yeah, like at the end of her necessarily her like natural life, yeah. And so, um, it is, um, and so also like tranquilizers of any kind are are very tricky because they are depressants, and also specifically 50 years ago, yeah, you know, things have progressed since then, still tricky, yeah. And so, so it's something that you know, you can if you mix with other types of medication, you mix with alcohol, yeah, even accidentally, it's very easy, um, to, um, to slip up, yeah. And you can make yourself very sick or it can be fatal, yeah. And, and so she, um, um, and so some, some people think that this was a mistake. This was, this was unintentional Mm. and other people think that she died by suicide. And, um, I am, and you want to know, I do want to know. And I want to know specifically because this is something that came up in researching for my book and writing my book. And this is something that, um, because I, I am someone who, um, I, I am prone to rumination and I ruminate on, um, unpleasant things. And uh, this is something that comes through for my protagonist. Um, and one of the things that my protagonist ruminates on, because she is somebody who, um, my, my protagonist has some heartbreak and like bad luck and like gets in like unfortunate circumstances and kind of blames herself, sees herself as kind of the, the common denominator of all the bad things. And, um, she thinks about, uh, so she, she thinks of her, she tries to think of herself now and again, like Gertrude Bell, because Gertrude Bell was, um, like had no, she was, she was what, what some call, what some unfair biographers call unlucky in love. Um, like she was very career driven. She was, um, get the sense she was kind of odd, maybe off putting, um, which is like, sure, not an, not an indictment, plenty of things to indict about Gertrude Bell. Um, but she also just sort of had, um, she had one relationship that, that ended, um, I think the the guy died and then there was another where she had this like intense, like sort of emotional connection with somebody who was um, in a relationship with someone else. And so it didn't work out. And right. so she, and so she just sort of, so my protagonist is like, I'm going to throw myself into work. I'm going to be like Gertrude Bell. Like she's this great hero. She's this great, this, this great person. And then the, the, what comes around is ultimately like, well, well, what happened? Like, did it all like, is this like, basically like, is this, is this pain that I'm feeling now going to catch up with me one day? Mm. Is it going to return like, um, like, like a, like for Gertrude Bell, presumably. it's going to, is it going to return later in life? Like a, like an old injury. I think it was like a, you know, like a, like an injury that, that hurts on rainy days and, and sort of mm-hmm. this idea, like, is it going to come back and like wear me down? Does is, is this what happened to Gertrude Bell? Like, am I, am I actually like Gertrude Bell? 
and the thing that I think is going to happen to me, it did, is that what happened to her? And so it's sort of this, this, um, this, this kind of question that my protagonist wrestles with of just like, so you're going to use your magical fly on the wall powers to do book research? No, 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 (laughs) no, because the thing that, um, because the thing that matters for my story and that I think matters is that um, it's really irrespective of the reason of of the reason or reasons that this happened, that this was the this the the case, this is how her life ended. Um, it's really it's 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 upsetting and it's disappointing the way that biographers and essayists and um, if I, I don't know what happened in the Herzog movie, um, mm. <laughs> but the, the, that they're, they're sort of like, Oh, poor Gertrude. Like, like the, like unlucky spinster who, and the sort of thing. Of, a bit like, oversimplified. The, the person, this person who, um, who, who had an exceptional career. Um, and you know, it was an exceptional career being a cog of empire, but yeah, like, well. but you know, like, yep. uh, but if, when you're looking at the history of archaeology, who didn't? And, yeah. and so like she, she was, um, brilliant and talented and, um, and it's, and whatever personal tragedies she experienced or endured, um, should like, I, I just, I think you should like, keep that out of your mouth when you're talking about somebody's <laughs> legacy. Yeah. And so it's something that I think about, like some, so it's something that I wrestled with and sort of, and, and, and kind of used my, my manuscript, my, my novel as sort of an, uh, a, a way, like a sort of a, a, a way to process that and just sort of put that out there of just like, is this, and, and like starting to do archival research, like incorporating archival mm-hmm. research into mm-hmm. my personal mm-hmm. research has been like, oh, I just start thinking like, oh my God, like, are people going to like know what I've done? Or you got to like, do the uh, Octavia E. Butler I yeah, and so approach and just sort of write your whole process down. But but not not even my pro like my like my, my personal life oh and wow. so the, those sorts of things so it's something that um so I would like to know I would like okay. I would like to know I want I want to know um uh, for for all reasons previously stated well and just like I, I well that's sort of all the context for why I want to know just um ooh I like almost like got really emotional there for a second because I. I, I want I want to I want to know if I am like Gertrude Bell, and and so that's that's my um, the other the other two are not bummers. So thank you. <laughs> okay, Anna, number three. Nope, number two. Number two, Anna. <laughs> uh, so uh, previous one was ships. This one is meals. Um, so meals, 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 food. Mills. M E A L S. Mills. 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 Uh, food. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the things that most interests me about the past is what people were eating. And so, in the same way that I'm cheating by bopping around to different boat having people, um, I'm going <laughs> to 
I'm going to use my magical fly powers to bop around. <laughs> That's to, like somebody like the Bronze Age gone woke talking about sea peoples. <laughs> boat having peoples. <laughs> you can't say that. Person of boat. <laughs> Person of. Yep. <laughs> Meals. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to go see someone a hundred thousand years ago mm. cooking a meal. I want to see someone at sort of a very quick, early quick market. A uh, hundred thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Cooking? Cooking. Cooking. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not everybody was cooking all the time, but use of fire was existed. Okay. Yep. Thanks. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I want to go see an early market where people are, purchasing or bartering for, or, mm-hmm. you know, doing whatever kind of exchange for, for the ingredients for their meals. I want to see an early Greek religious feast. I want to see, you know, um, um, on every continent, probably not Antarctica. I want to see just like the average person eating a meal and, and preparing a meal. And then like the, like elite yeah. context. Yes. Okay. Well, I could do feast. Wackadoo feast. Um, <laughs> the feast of St. Wackadoo. Yeah, Our Lady of Wackadoo. Um, yeah, that's what I want. Food. Okay. My answers are thematic. Yeah. Uh, my number two is um, I would like to see the Bay Area before colonizers <laughs> arrived. Yeah. Um, because if you've spent time, if you've spent any time in the San Francisco Bay area, um, you will know that it is a beautiful place. Like the, 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 um, natural environment yeah. is gorgeous. Oh gosh. Um, I miss it. And, and so, um, when I was in, when I was in SF, when I was, when I was around for work, I was in, I was staying in Berkeley and I went over to, uh, Bay street, the shopping center in Emeryville, uh, where you go, like Shell Mound Street and Ohlone Way. You're named for the things that were destroyed. They, like named for the people that aren't there anymore and um, uh, that were like intentionally displaced. And so I, um, I would really like to see um, specifically the Bay Area, but I would like to see California before colonizers because California, um, it still is, um, a home to like, like truly staggering diversity of like, um, of, of communities and, and languages and, um, and sort of life ways among, um, indigenous communities. And I, to, to see them, I would, I would love to see what the, um, what, what the, the landscape looked like, mm. um, and uh, under sort of, um, indigenous cultivation and, and like and stewardship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, um, you know, the, things wouldn't be on fire quite so much. Yeah. And I, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Because, because they, it, in, in multiple senses, um, oh, well, yeah, like, I, the, like, like multiple, multiple causes of, of wildfires and their sort of intensity and, um, and frequency could be alleviated if, if, like, if the land like, was managed in if, traditional if ways. If weren't there yeah, and sort of sure. the whole arc yep. of capitalism and sort of. I didn't mean to open I, that can of worms. No, I'm just saying like <laughs> climate change. Yeah. Um, so 
taking taking climate change out of the equation, but but seeing like how um, indigenous land management yeah. worked in the Bay Area, and also that would be really cool to see. Um, because Showmound Street um, in Emeryville, like this is along the estuary and what now like smells like poo because the East Bay Municipal Utilities District, like wastewater management thing is on yep. it. Um, and there's like an Ikea. Um, there is a mound. There is a midden, like a shell mound there. That, like a fragment of what it used to be. Yeah, that that's there as like a... A little hat tip, um, I guess, and and so this was this was the space where um, like shellfish processing took place on and a so, huge community scale. Yeah, and so I would I would love to be able to see the the because the, there are the Bay Area also features microclimates. Yeah, uh, so you go from it's a tremendously one, diverse like one part of of San Francisco ecosystem. to another, yeah. like where wherever you are in um, like you can. Over the like, if you took a walking tour of San Francisco, you would. I need a sweater. No, I don't. Yeah, it's I need so, a sweater. Like, there is like just over the course of a couple, like an hour or so of walking, you can get from one microclimate to another, um, and so this would be very great for me, a fly, um, to be able to see this. But to, just see how this was you was could land utilized. On an oyster, just like that, that this was utilized, and how uh, people or, would organize themselves and. Mm-hmm. Um, and reside in this space in um, a in in a way that's very different from what you are subjected to now when you go there, and so that's my that's my number two. Smells smelly. Yeah. So Anna, number like one, number two. What's your? What's my number one? What's, yeah. What would you want to see? No one is surprised. I would want to see hominin groups interacting in the period of the Paleolithic when multiple flavors of human were bopping around, and I want to see those flavors of human see each other. Bop around. Bop bop bop. Wink. Um, oh yeah, as as <laughs> our pal Stefan called it. <laughs> the Paleolithic boink fest. Um, yeah, so you would want to see uh, the period fifty thousand years ago in the Levant when Neanderthals get ate out all of it. <laughs> Danny Vendramini is not invited to this conversation. Uh, no, I would want to see uh, any instance of because I don't know if if I'd have to like pick a particular confluence, like when Neanderthals, Homo sapiens and Denisovans, Mm -hmm. like if, if they were ever in the same place, seeing each other, I would like to see that. But also if that didn't happen, I would like to see sort of the individual interactions of Neanderthal, Denisovan, Homo sapiens, Neanderthal, et cetera. And when I say see, I'm not being voyeuristic here. I don't necessarily need to see instances of admixture, but yeah. (laughs) Uh, no, I just want to see uh, the, um, you know, the daytime interactions. Um, okay, so my number one thing probably isn't a surprise since I haven't mentioned it yet. It's not Wendell Phillips knocking something over. Okay. Um, also, he didn't knock it over. I know. Someone else knocked it but over. But it's his fault. <laughs> it was his fault. <laughs> yes. Um, no, I would like to um, say give a visit take a visit make a visit go to i want to see um 
I want to be where the mid first millennium BCE Arabians are. I want to be <laughs> where Arabians are. Uh, no, I would like to, um, the, um, so I was trying to like narrow it down. So like I was thinking what's like, going on in that empty peninsula. Well, I want like, part of me is like, I want to know what caused the fire that destroyed the oh, Moela, yeah. Yeah, the site yeah, yeah. that I worked at, mm-hmm. um, the conflagration. Um, oh, you could uh, see what happened at Hassan Lu. Well, that's not in Arabia, but I was thinking, I was thinking, no, like, I just, I don't think I want to see what okay. happened at Hassan That's Lu, fair. Cause I know. I mean, like we know, we know happened. the, the outcome. Yeah. What we don't um, know is the, is the who, cause. We yeah. have a good idea who, of who did it yeah. and the person who disagrees died. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> consensus, <laughs> consensus has shifted. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, res- I retract Hassan Lu um, from so consideration. I did, I did think about Hassan Lu and then I was like, no, that would be horrible. Yeah. I don't want to see that. Okay. So Moela. Um, so, well, yeah. So I was thinking something like that. Um, um, I'm, I'm also, and so my, I was, I was thinking about like going to Muela. I was thinking about Tama and like when Nabonidus was there and like seeing like what that actually looked like. <laughs> What's on up the with ground. your sin, bruh? <laughs> but I, but I realized that like, these are sort of two sides of the same. And then I also thought like, well, what about, um, the, um, in, was it the annals of Sennacherib? Was the when they met? I will not be able to tell okay. you. No, but like the the instances where they where they discuss like encountering um, like Shamsi and the Arab queens, like ah, yeah, um, and so like getting tribute, like, yeah, instances of of like affairs of state, kind of. Yeah, like I was thinking of those times and wanting to know like what was actually happening, and I realized like, oh, my question is, I want to see what was actually happening without the lens of um the like mesopotamian like reporting on it like imperial reportage yeah like i i i want to know what was actually happening like i want to see um like in the the iron age in the arabian peninsula like especially the the like iron 2 like so sort of the middle of the first <laughs> iron 2 the, the middle of the, the ironing the, the middle of the first millennium bce was a point where like there was this explosion and like like uh, social complexity and 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 trade and all of the stuff that was happening popping um, off in a in a prehistoric context. And so it's sort of parahistoric. Okay. Um, because like there were other, there were, there are like his, like there was history being written about them. Yeah. But not from their perspective. But not from their perspective. Okay. And, um, and in a way, does like in, in a way designed to make the, the authors, um, look good. Yeah. And to sort of minimize political spin. Yeah. And so I, I want to, See what um, happened? I, yeah, I want to know what I want to know what a an Iron Age economy looks like, and uh, like because it because I know it as like bits of stuff found in one place that can be sourced to another. Uh, but what does that mean? Yeah, what does that look like when it's actually people? Yeah, do you have people who like this is their job? Do you have people that are um, immigrants? Do you have people that just like? How, like how big was the world for someone yeah. living in the Arabian Peninsula at this I time? I think you'd probably need to be a fly that's capable of doing interviews. No, I'm observing. 
Okay. Well, um, so yeah, that's my, that's my number one. Oh, you're my number one oh. co-host. Thanks. We're tied for number one. We're number one. Um, you know who's really number one? Our listeners. Our listeners. Oh, you're all tied for number one. <laughs> Everyone's the same. <laughs> we love you all equally. Um, and so this is going to go up on Patreon first and then in a slightly edited form on the main feed. So to our patrons, also number one. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the support that you provide for the show. Again, it is get, giving us the opportunity to give back to the community, to do things that kind of line up with our the the mission of the show, and to and it helps us keep make keep oh, mm. words are hard. Number one, an hour of four and forty eight minutes in, uh, Lil. You help us to make this show, and it's a thing that we love to do, and we're very, very grateful for your support. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And if you're listening on the main feed, we'll be back in your ears sooner. In a few days. Sooner, yeah, in a yeah. few days. See you soon. Um, with more archaeology and anthropology content. So go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave us a review. Please. But leave us a review of the show, not this specific episode. Yeah, no, this is um, this is un uncommon. Yeah. But if you do like this, we can do more of this. We can do more of this. This is what we I mean, this is what we do the rest of the time. Yeah, this is you you This is actually the kind of stuff thread. that I like make Anna listen to. Mm. Um but yeah, so um if you want to since this is a show, this is an episode about us, um you can you can fi- you can find us on social media. Yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter at Amber Dextrous. Yep. And I'm back on Instagram. Oh, like um, for real though? Yeah, I posted again. And I like, know, you look great. That was a great photo of you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, t- I took a couple years off Instagram because I was sad and I didn't like myself um, and didn't like that other people liked themselves. And so- <laughs> Entirely reasonable yeah. reason for... Staying um, off Instagram. Yeah. So I'm back on Instagram. I was always technically there. I just wasn't doing anything. And I am there at Amber Zambelli. So. Yep. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Anna Goldfield. That's my name. And I'm on Instagram at Puppy Digs. If you want to <laughs> see mostly pictures of food and cats. It was great. Um, and then you can find us, mm-hmm. The Dirt, uh, on Facebook at the dirt podcast on Twitter at dirt podcast and on Instagram at the dirt pod. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. See you soon. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at arcpodnet.com slash members.
Thanks again and have a great day.